Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of The Running Podcast, joined with my favourite co-host, Alfie. How are you doing, Alfie? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I appreciate the favourite co-host, since there's, there's only one of me. So uh, I guess it's first and last on that list, but it's just good to be here. It's good to be here. I'm doing well. What about yourself? Yeah, man. Living life, living the dream, whatever that dream is. But yeah, life's good. Uh, off the back of a very packed weekend full of Various running events going down, which we're going to talk about on today's show. We've got the uh, the British Indoor Championships, which you obviously competed at. We're definitely going to cover that. Uh, we also had the World Cross Country Championships over in Australia, down under. We also had uh, various world records broken across the world in so many different events. Not to mention, just talking about general running news, it's been an absolute banging week in the whole athletic scene. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, I feel that we have we've got to start with the world records, I guess, um, just to get them out of the way, and then we can sort of go on to the other stuff. Just because I feel like I don't want to get too carried away with the podcast without drawing attention to these insane world records. So, to the best of my knowledge, there's been three world records, and then technically a world best as well in, in the DMR. But the DMR, do we really class that as a world record? I, I don't think so. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Super Bowl. It's like saying that the American footballers are world champions, which I know they like to say in America. Mm. No one else, no one else does it. It's it's <laughs> not, it's not a world record. Uh, but there's one of them as well, but yeah, I mean, 3000 meter world record, shot put world record and a 400 meter world record. Mm-hmm. Let's talk I mean, about the, let's talk about the 3000 first. Yeah. So Ethiopian Germa, right? Yes. Steeplechase specialist. Yeah. So I, I mean, 723 breaking Daniel Kyman's record. Was it was it twenty three or twenty five years? Is it twenty five years? That yeah, twenty five. Twenty five year record. Yeah. Do you know what? Growing up as a kid, it was always like that indoor three k world record was the one that would never get beat out of out of the fifteen hundred meters El Garouge. Even people thought that that was a record that was more doable than that indoor three k record. And I think for anyone that's listening. If you haven't seen Daniel Coleman's indoor world record video on on YouTube, go and watch it because it's just insane. It's he just gets on it from the gun and just starts knocking out fifty nine seconds a lap. It's mess, it's, it's ridiculous. So to say that did did both Germa and Katia break the record? Yes, they both broke the record. I just feel like every time a rec- a record is being broken. I'm more and more amazed. I just don't. I just don't know how fast people can go. It's just nuts. It's crazy. It's the fact as well that Germa led it as soon as the pacer dropped out. Bless them, the pacemakers. You've got to feel for it when it's a world record attempt because you can't really run that long in a three thousand meter world record attempt pacing someone before you get too tired, unless you're a world class runner yourself. So I think Germa had to solo the last three and a half minutes uh, with just Katir trailing behind him. So it'd have been interesting to see if there was more of a, I don't know. I don't want to say sportsmanlike conduct, but maybe some like gamesmanship beforehand discussing, maybe we should take a lap each to try and attack the record as much as possible. But yeah, they stayed on the splits and Gurma mm. found another gear in the last lap. And I mean, 7.23 from someone who isn't even a 5K, 1500 meter runner is a, is a 3K steeplechase runner. Yeah. It's like, why are you doing steeplechase? Because surely you can, now you've done that, 
And bear in mind, he was already the seventh fastest all-time indoors with 727, I think, before. It's like, I want to see you in a 5K. I want to see you in a 3K outdoors because that's what you've got to think about next. Like, is someone going to challenge the outdoor, which is 720? Because surely indoor is worth three seconds, depending on what track you get because of the, you know, the tighter bends and stuff. So it's got to be close. It's just, it's it's unfathomable, unfathomable, which is a word I cannot pronounce, but it's just crazy to think about that someone actually, two people went and ran 723, 724, yeah. two people as well who, if we were recording this podcast two years ago, won't even know who they were. No, nah, because he was like a 340, 1500-meter runner, weren't he? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and G- right. Germer went from an 846 3K steeplechase runner to an 801 3K steeplechase runner in the space of a year Shame. as well. So, yeah, both, think, both runners who have come on massively. I think the reason he's probably doing steeplechase is because either he doesn't back his flat ability in the current crop of Ethiopian talent. If we go and have a look at like Borrega, Kajelcha, um, Gebrewet, Aragawi, Aragawi, if we don't, if he doesn't back himself in, in making Olympic teams for the flat and he's got a bit of a niche over the barriers, then I can understand why he'd go down that route. So I get that. And it's always an interesting conversation of how good are steeplechasers on the flat. But ultimately, if you're running eight minutes for a three-coast steeple, you have to be world-class at the flat. Like, <laughs> the majority of that race is run on the flat. So, yeah, I mean, does that mean that he's going to want to step up to the five and the ten? Or is he thinking, do you know what? I'm now going to be able to smash my steeplechase best and dominate that event. I don't know. But... As we've seen many, many times before, the indoor and the outdoor is a completely different sport. You know, we're always surprised by there's always a, there's always surprise performances in the indoor season, and then it hypes up the outdoor season. You're like, wow, what are they going to do? And it doesn't always, so it doesn't always move over to the outdoors. You know, I remember there's been years gone by where you know British talents fly indoors, and you just can't wait for them to hit the outdoor running, and and then it just doesn't transpire. But I'm excited to see what Gurman's going to do. I think that. Katia, looking at that run, I think Katia goes, I think he goes like really inside 330, 1500 this year. I think that he is going to challenge the great one. I honestly do think that he is going to be there with 200 to go, like he was last season, but he's not going to go away as easy. So the the thing with Katia, right, so he's around 328 in Monaco, so... Mm. And he beat Jakob that day. Jakob just came from illness, but he still came second behind Chariot. He also raced Jakob at the Worlds and Jakob at the Europeans. Now, he did lose on both of those occasions, but he will be racing Jakob Ingebrigtsen at the Europeans in two weeks' time yeah. in the 15 and the 3K. And Jakob didn't break the world record nah. this time round, And he does look a bit vulnerable because he has been ill. But to say that that Katir can beat Jakob, and I feel like it's a more realistic conversation that ever has been before. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Purely because even when he ran 328, I was never expecting him to challenge Jakob. Like it was, it almost seemed easy for Jakob to win races. Mm. But I feel like that'll give Katir another form of confidence. And if he can close, like if he's got 12, 40, whatever, 5K shape, and he's also got a 328, 1500 shape, and he's also got coming off the back of a 724. You know, 
I, I'd, I'd bold prediction he's probably taken one of the golds uh, at the Euros. I think that um, Katia, sorry, Jakob, he ran that 332, didn't break the world record, but it's, it's, it's widely known that he's, he's come off illness. I mean, I don't want to say that he's done that off not a lot, but when you're Jakob and you're running 180Ks a week, the amount of training he does, even if he's coming off the back of some lower weeks with less training, I think that 332 was actually really impressive. And I don't want to talk about Jakob all for this whole podcast, but I think that that 332, like he tied up, like you saw him tie up in that. There's there's still there's seconds in there, man. And I think that Jakob proved in that 332 where he didn't look great towards the end that he is he's come on this from the last year I think that this that Jakob this year is going to be better than last year so even though Katir ran 724 even though he might go and run a seven a 327 this year everyone else is also getting better and <laughs> I don't know history's probably going to repeat itself but it's great to see and we love to see a world record go down I actually personally I know there's a bit of a bit of um there's always a bit of conflict around world records going and records going and barriers going, but I love seeing records being broken. Honestly, the more the more record can be broken, the more people that are going to talk about it, and that's and that's what I love. But I did have a conversation this week with a friend, and I said that seven twenty three that is so fast over the three k. And the day after it, no, not the two days after it, even massive fans like you and me, it had been forgotten about. So how fast? Would someone have had to run in that race for it actually to make like mainstream news worldwide? Like I made the joke to my mate. I went, imagine he ran that 3K in four minutes. I still don't think it would have made mainstream media. Like I'm talking like ABC News, Fox News, BBC Sky Breaking News. And that makes me really sad. Yeah, I feel like it would have had to been a two miler. Because yeah. that, for some reason, the mile distance has such more of a marketability around it. Maybe if we saw a two-mile world record, it might have been a tiny bit of a different story. But you're right. I mean, this is a common and a consistent issue with track and field as a whole. There's, even when we're excited in our own little micro bubble, no one else even knows about it. Not that they don't care. No one knows. Yeah, true. Uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know to care or not. Yeah, man. If, if if someone broke a Parkrun world record, I feel like people would care more than a, a 3K world record at this point is, in time. That is the world we live in. But hey ho, let's let's move on from the 3K onto the next world record. We let's go to the field. So we had a world record in the shot put where Ryan Krauser he, he threw 23:38 indoors, but that was a centimeter on his outdoor record. Yeah, which is. So don't want to get too physics on it but you know some um, in fact i'm not even going to go there we did we did an a level pe we did physics about how discuses and shot puts can mm. fly differently indoors outdoors same as pole vault and mondo though isn't it like yeah um yeah but let's be real it was an outright world record um krauser is an absolute beast he just rocks around this gigantic human being He's a specimen in itself with his mullet flopping around. <laughs> He's just an absolute animal. Um, I think that there was a little bit of um, there was a little bit of backlash on Twitter that I saw because he obviously didn't compete at USA's, um, but he competed at this meet. But I believe that I haven't I haven't got the numbers in front of me. But to win USA's, I think it's like six thousand dollars. I believe it is, and he would likely have been paid more just to appear at this open meet. Mm. Thoughts on that? 
I mean, again, this is a perfect example of the, the state of the sport, really, isn't it? Um, and he probably would have got paid more from a bonus to get that world record as well. And who knows, would he have got it in a heats and final at the USA's or whatever he'd have to do with the championships? We don't know. So, I mean, it we're at a point where the pinnacle of sport in every country, like we had the British champs this weekend, USA's, where athletes aren't choosing to do it, that's kind of scary. It's, it's really bad. Like, actually, if you think about it, it that's really bad. Like, imagine in any, of, any other sport, a footballer was like, nah, I don't, I don't really feel like playing in the Premier League. I want to go and, I mean, some people do it. I guess Ronaldo just went to Saudi Arabia. But it's, you know, you get the concept. It's like, yeah. why would you not choose to compete at the pinnacle of domestic sport? But people yeah. are. And I it doesn't that. even seem a disgusting decision to do so. Yeah, I saw a comment on Twitter, which was really, which was really, I thought, bang on the money, and it was um, the British champs is now the 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 best opportunity for unfu- for non-funded athletes. That's the, it's the championship for non-funded athletes ultimately. Um, I mean, we'll get on to British champs, but yeah, uh, Ryan Krause, I mean, absolute beast, cements himself as as, as the goat in the shot put, and uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting summer to see if anyone if anyone takes that crown. Last world record that we had that we're going to talk about, uh, back to the track in the indoor 400 meters. She is on, she's something else. Femke Ball. I mean, let's talk about it. What was it? What was the record? 49.26. Man, Femke Ball is, is doing bits. And I think that a certain, a certain Sydney McLaughlin would have sat up and looked at that one and maybe thought, geez, I've got some competition this year. What do you reckon? I actually saw a very interesting post about this uh, from a guy on Instagram called The Running Statistician. And he said, people who are talking about the rivalry between Femke Ball and Sidney McLaughlin is like saying that there's a, a rivalry between Wallace Spearman and Usain Bolt. Even, even though they're fast, both of them, it's actually still not even a rivalry because Sidney McLaughlin's so far ahead. However, I do think it's interesting because, first of all, the world record's insane. And to say... Uh, I don't think this would be a very uncommon take that the previous world record was a very suspicious one. Um, the current, still the current 800 meter world record holder outdoors holds the indoor 400 meter world record. Don't need to get into why that might be suspicious. Um, but yeah, Femke Ball very fast. Is it fast enough to even challenge Sid McLaughlin in, in the 400 hurdles? I don't think so. For Sydney, I feel like we're getting recency biased because Sydney doesn't race indoors barely races often. yeah but and maybe because Femke Ball's European we're a bit closer to it and we're seeing it happen in front of us Sydney's in a was in two classes of her own like she was she it wasn't even the set it wasn't even one class above Femke and she was, like, she was Mohammed. making Mohammed look average you know like yeah yeah but she's closer Femke Ball's closer now maybe unless Sydney's improved again but we forget I mean, Sydney's young as well, but Femke Ball's only 22 years old. She's not turned yeah. 23 yet. Sydney McLaughlin's only 23. So what are we going to see in four years' time from both of them? Mm-hmm. We're probably going to see a world record in the 400 metres flat from Sydney McLaughlin, I assume. But are we going to see a world record battle in the 400 hurdles? Or is Sydney just going to take it so far out of reach and no one's going to be able to touch it, even Femke Ball? I don't know. It's Both a tricky balance as well. That spike, there's a new spike. Izzy Boffy wore it as well at the British Champs. I've heard very good things about it. It looks very thick for a sprint spike, but mm. 
Yeah. What is he Goffy ran the A hundred in it? Yeah, yeah. She's been she's had that spike since uh first race of the season indoors. Oh nice. Excellent. So yeah, I mean, great, great weekend for world records. Um another record that wasn't a world record, but it's definitely worth talking about was at the British Champs, Ellie Baker won the fifteen hundred meter women's race and she took she took down a championship record. Was a thirty seven year old championship record. Can you tell me who it was held by previously? Zol- Zola Bud. Zola Bud. I mean, Zola, to be named in the same breath as Zola Bud, take your first British title indoors, win it in 4.06. Scalp Kate Snowden, who's run 4.03 indoors this year, I believe. And also get a European qualifying time. That was a huge run for Ellie Baker. And uh, I think that was um, not that she's not had breakthrough performances before, but that was a breakthrough to the next level, I believe, for Ellie. And I think that she'll now be going into that outdoors, you know, looking to run sub four minutes or at least going for that barrier. I think that that race showed she's matured a lot during the winter. Yeah, I was buzzing. I was screaming at the TV for that race. It was wicked. It's weird because I was I was watching it from the stands after my race and you're kind of out of it. You couldn't really tell what was happening on the track. It She just looked so strong throughout the whole race. And I can't even remember if they were like making a crazy scene about it in the stadium about after it had finished. So I had to actually rewatch it afterwards. And that's when I actually found out that she got the record and how fast she ran. So I didn't even realize what time she ran in the stadium, which is crazy. But I just thought, wow, Uh, you know, traditionally an 800 meter runner kind of coming up to the 15. And it's, it's clearly probably where our main strength is now. Yeah, well, Erin Wallace took it out. Because obviously Erin and Ellie didn't have the qualifying time for Europeans, whereas Katie did. Um, it wasn't silly fast through the first two or two or three hundred, but then Ellis, what Erin more or less then did push it on, and they started knocking out um, like 60, 66s, like thirty three every two hundred, I think. So the pace was really honest, um, and even with two hundred minutes to go, it was like, well, all three are going to get the time all three are going to go sub 4.10. And Erin Wallace, to be fair, she acted as a pacemaker and she got third on the day. I think she got around 4.09, but she was she was really strong. I think that, yeah, I think that on another day, Kate Snowden may have got around Ellie, but she had to chop her stride in the last 100 metres and that probably cost her. But yeah, great race all round. And and yeah, I mean, that I think that was the only uh, championship record of the weekend of British Champs. Um, but on, on the British Champs, let's talk about it before we talk about your race. I was watching it on Sunday uh, on the BBC, on the iPlayer. And obviously, you know, watching it over Twitter and uh, Instagram over the weekend, it didn't look that um, that exciting from a spectator's perspective. It looked pretty dead. But you were there. What, what was it like? Pretty dead, to be honest. Yeah. It, it was. Um, the, the stands were, on Sunday, the stands were okayly filled. It, it wasn't packed by any means, but it was probably a little better than last year in terms of, how many people are in the, the crowd. Uh, but it's kind of hard to know what's going on because you've kind of got so many events going on at once. It's really hard to focus on what's actually happening. Obviously, the track events take the main focus. Yeah. Uh, but like, it was very hard to gauge. Like I said, with the Ellie Baker race, I, I wouldn't have had a clue that she ran the championship record there and then. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it was almost like we said about the Germa thing, but you kind of forget it instantly. It's yeah. like the crowd's clapping because they're watching it. And it's like, okay, next race. Um, I don't really know how we get around that. And the only reason I was sort of, the only thing I noticed, which was a good atmosphere, was when 
you were sat around people who had family racing in the race. That's the only time it felt like you were in a good atmosphere. Um, so it it wasn't great. I must admit, I feel like there's much better atmosphere at stuff like the National Cross Country Champs, even the relays, the national relays. So I don't know why that is. Any thoughts on why that could be? Uh, too many empty seats. Yep. Don't market yeah. it. Don't really market it at all for people to go and watch. Um, I mean, no one would have probably known about it other than family and friends and people like coaches in the sport. Um but also at the same time, like, you know, we could bash British athletics and say, oh, they don't do this, they don't do that. But they don't clearly want to do that. They're not actually, well, correct me if I'm wrong, British athletics, but you're not interested in filling the seats. If you were, you'd, you'd market it. You've had enough empty seats for a decade now. I don't think filling the seats is the priority. The priority is getting those athletes on the plane to the Europeans. And the sooner we wake up as fans and realise it, that that champs is not there for anyone except the top three in each event that it's not there it's not there for the fifth sixth and the people in the heats they're just there to make up the numbers and that sounds brutal but that's the real realistic position of the sport it's there to get those people on the seats on the planes so they can stand at the europeans in a gb kit and hit a quota for people that are working for the governing body so they say that yeah we got a full team to this champs that's normally what it's there for it's ticking boxes. That's all it yeah. is. It's just, it's just... Yeah. And do you know what? I used to get really angry about it and really annoyed about it, but I've become, I'm at peace with it now. Once you realise what the state of it, the sport is and why it is the way it is, and and it's that way because people need to tick boxes to get their paycheck, you just, you just crack on. Yeah, the question you've got to ask is, why would they change it and who's going to force them to change it? Because they need to hit what they need to hit, like you said, and it's kind of like, unless someone's going to drive that from within... Everyone's yeah. just going to do their job and that's just keeping it how it is right now. That's yeah, all it is. If they don't need to change it, there's no need to change it. I guess if it works, it works. But yeah, from a spectator's perspective, it sucks because, you know, we'll chat about World Cross a little bit later today, but, you know, watching that, it's three, four deep on the railing of people watching all the, all the locals come out from Australia and, yeah, different different competition, different world, but hey-ho. Let's talk about um, your race. Obviously, you was in 3,000 metres, straight final on the Sunday. Was it due to be heats or? Uh, no, always straight final. I feel like, I don't know what would happen if there was too many people for one race because I've, I've never I've never known it be heats, but I've only done it for the last two years. There was originally meant to be quite a, like in the middle teens, quite a few people in my race, but it ended up being 10 or nine in the, in the final yeah. in the end, which is, you know, crazy in itself. I feel like a few people entered multiple events. So like Neil Gawley decided to do the 15 instead of the 3K. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, straight final. Um, it what was, was, it the, was entry the entry standard is 810, which which makes you question it even more because Quite soft, a lot, that. yeah, it's, it is soft and a lot of people have ran and you could, you've had over a year to run that as well. Yeah. So I'm wondering where everyone is. To be well, honest, yeah, I've nearly run that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Could have got so, a lane last minute. <laughs> but this is, I don't understand it. I don't understand because even if I had like, so if I was like an 809, 810 runner, I would snatch that opportunity just to yeah, race for the British champs. Yeah, so I don't know where, I don't know where anyone was, to be honest. Maybe people choosing national cross country over it or books, for example. Well, there was other races going on, but also like, uh, you say that you'd, snap, you'd take the chance as an 809 guy to run the British champs, but then maybe you ran it once and then 
you probably might probably don't want to go back because it's a bit dead in it. Unless okay. you're like, unless you're like shooting for a PB or a medal, then if you're just going to finish like seventh or eighth in a, in in your PB time or like a few seconds off, then it's a big old weekend. Do you know what I mean? And this isn't any disrespect to this person, but let's just I'm just going to say it. Tom Keane, he did um, Battersea 5K. Yeah. Okay. He's ran 7.48 for 3,000 metres, meaning that he would have had the cutoff for the ranking if he came in the top three on the day at the British Champs. Why is he not racing the British Champs? And I'm not, I'm not, that's not a dig. I don't, I don't know why he's not choosing to race the British Champs. Mate, easy answer. He could win a grand down at Battersea Park. Like, he, 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 ran, he, he won a £1,000. That's, that's worth more than a British title right now because he's already a pro athlete. Um, so he's not like unsponsored and he needs to try and meddle at British champs to, to become more attractive and, and to brands to sign him. Um, he's already run a fast indoor 3k. He's probably targeting the 1500 meters this year. So ultimately what's going to help his season a little bit more thousand quid will. <laughs> so I can see, I can see why athletes won't turn up to do that. Um, same, same with Reve Walcott Nolan. She won a thousand pound out of Batsy Park. She wins a course, she runs a course record. Does she need to, does she need to test herself at 3k indoors, risk herself getting beat when she can turn up at Batsy and win, win a grand. It's, it's a difficult one because it's, a, it's the same scenario as Ryan Krauser, the shopper. Why would he go USA's when he can compete the same, the same event ultimately against himself and earn more money because money talks in this sport when there's not a lot of it flying around but your race itself mate let's talk about it because obviously it went very well we ran a pb didn't we 756 i watched the race you didn't get a lot of air time once you'd dropped off because yeah those boys at the front were moving but talk me through the race where's your head at with it would you ever do you ever get the feeling when you finish a race and you're always like this could have been different. I wish it was like this. It's always like a bit, a bit of a bittersweet feeling. Yeah. Uh, she always feel like I could have done something different. That's kind of what it was like because I was never going into it to medal in my eyes. I feel like I'm a bit not quite there yet in terms of, you know, I was kind of one of them, like you said, just making up the numbers for British athletics to have a, an actual race on. Uh, so I came fifth in 746, a personal best, a big personal best. Uh, I ran 746. I I wish. Yeah, 756. Um, 11 seconds quicker than I ran there last year. So, you know, a big improvement on that. However, I would say, as someone who was going into it, not going to medal or to care about places, I was just purely going into it to try and run a fast time. Yeah. I I was a little upset that we didn't go out harder because Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a faster time up for grabs. Yeah. And for me, that's a bit of a stupid way to think about it because it's a championship race. However, as I said, someone who's not racing it as a championship race, it would have been nice to try and even run even quicker because like I said, those guys, like it was very hot in the stadium. And I feel like halfway when they started to pick it up a bit, I just, I just felt a bit sapped. Like I didn't really have much energy. So I still closed in negative splits, but it was just hard to sort of get going after they picked it up. Cause you know, the class of like James West on the day, um, it was just, you know, you, you realize that it's very hard to compete with those guys. Uh, <laughs> they just kind of get away from you so quickly. It's kind of scary to feel that happen in real time, to be honest. But it was good. I'm happy with it. Good experience. And it's nice to run a personal best. 
Yeah, I think it's a big run, mate. I think there's a sec- there's a few seconds in there. I think that you know you're probably looking at low low seven fifties and maybe like a European meet um, where they get on the pace from the start. Maybe like that Met three k that Jack Rowe ran seven forty eight or, or seven forty six. You know, you may have run a seven fifty two or seven fifty one in that. You just you just don't know. But at the end of the day, I don't think you make the numbers up. I think you're fast too fast for that. I think you you you're that you're in that realm where you you maybe don't feel like you're just quite at the medal contender stage yet, but you're at a point where you can go into that race and get a good PB and that's a good platform for the rest of the year. Um, no, mate, it's a huge run. I think that um, it sets you up nicely for the rest of the year. What's um what's next on the on the racing plan? Uh, Trafford ten k in two weeks time so trafford 9.8k trafford 9.8k negative downhill trafford race yeah that's the one yeah um hopefully run fast there i will be racing in the vaporfly next percent threes which is exciting very exciting um don't really know where my fitness is at 10k wise because i kind of missed a bit of base training earlier on in the season so we'll see how it goes but it's the last race of the sort of indoor block and then it's probably heads down maybe go to altitude somewhere or some training camp somewhere to get trained up for the uh the summer really so that's that's the plans anyway you want to know uh, flipping hilarious is that so where did you get your next percent threes through a retailer sports shoes i'm assuming yep so i work for nike and i can't get those next percent threes yet they've already allocated pairs for retailers and that's why you're getting a pair what's that about well in 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 sports shoes defense as well, I know a lot of other uh, companies have gotten first as well. Like it's it's weird the next percent because you've seen some random guy in America have them six months ago. Yeah, and it's like what? Why why has he got them? But hey ho, it's um it's a sick shoe, mate. I've uh, I think you're gonna fly in them, especially at Trafford. They've tarmacked that bit of road that used to be cut up, so it's a lot faster at the start. Okay, I've never run it, so I have no clue what the course is gonna be like. I'm not gonna wear a watch. I'm just gonna send it because it's. Yeah. You know, might as well just see what happens. It's a good little were... race. It's a good yeah. little one. I've done it before. It's um just this little leisure centre out in the arse end of nowhere. And just country roads. Yeah, it's it's just country roads. I don't know I don't know why it's so quick, if I'm completely honest. Like it doesn't feel as quick as like a Telford. Um yeah, I just think you get good guys there, net downhill does help. Um yeah, but when I ran it, I didn't think, wow, this is a super fast course. I just think there's so many people that are there that, that are up the front that, that help push it on. A bit like an Armar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, which is not short for anyone listening. Um, no, it's definitely not short. But yeah, I, I feel like it is kind of like you said, when loads of people turn up and you just kind of send it and you just, that's what I'm going into the mindset of. It's like, I don't care if I blow up in that 10K race. It's my last race of the season. It's not really yeah. a championship. Just see what you've got and absolutely smash it essentially. And if you die off towards the end, you die off towards the end. And that's kind of the mindset going into it. You also race this week. So let's yeah, uh, <laughs> let's talk finally, about that. Finally got a race, man. Oh yeah, it's been I raced I raced the weekend before in a local league cross country race. Um, but this was my first target race, I guess, one that I trained for since um july august so yeah it was really nice to be nervous on the start line i haven't felt nerves in ages you know when you're there and you're like right i'm gonna i've got a goal but you know you never know what's gonna happen so i was quite i was quite nervous but at the same time um with it being 
my first race of the year. It was always it was always just like a line drawn in the sand. See how things go and work from there. But the the podium the podium what was it called pole five k. So it was a it was a collaboration with Podium and Friday Night Under the Lights. Now I've been to I've been to this meeting before, but I've never raced it. And it's a really vibrant one down at Battersea Park. Um, it's a Friday night. It's dark. It's um, there's not many people in the park, so it's really kind of closed off for us runners. So yeah, I entered and uh, they put me in the first race, which is technically the slowest one, but it actually ended up not being the slowest one, interestingly. Um, and my target was fifteen thirty. I wanted to try and break that, and I ran fifteen forty one. So it wasn't a million miles away from the goal. Um, I learned a lot. There were a lot of, I got a lot of answers from some questions, but it was a great event. I mean, I paid 12 quid for an entry and I got to be a part of a really exciting race. I got a free pizza at the end, a free pint. And you can't ask for more than that for 12 quid, you know? I bet you'd just get a pizza and a pint for 12 quid without the race, wouldn't you? Especially in London. Oh, mate, if, if not more. I mean, pint alone is about 650 so yeah, no, it was good, mate. I really enjoyed it. The race itself, I mean, I the way I describe it is I felt like I was in a 10k. It wasn't that hard. Um, my plan was to just cruise to 3k and then close, but I wasn't really able to cruise to 3k. I was pretty much redlining the whole way. So um got to 3k and just kind of maintained. I think I ran pretty pretty even splits. I think I ran 502 a mile or something like that and I think yeah I pretty pretty much ran even pace the whole way it was just a case of that's where I'm at at the, at the moment not fit enough to go quicker not strong enough to put the hammer down um but yeah not bad really not bad considering I had COVID about six weeks ago so I'm happy talk to us about what you said on Instagram about how even though it's not the time what you could have like you know what you've run in the past mm. why that kind of meant a lot to you as that race and you were obviously happy with it because it's mm. a lot of people get caught up on times all the time and never really yeah. think about I don't want to sound cringy but the journey up towards that point is always different so yeah. talk about that and kind of what you put on Instagram yeah so my PB is 1430 which would have put me pretty high up in the elite race but I ran 70 seconds slower than my PB but it was really a good run for me at the time because there's always factors that affect where you're at. You know, you can't always be on it. You can't always be in PB shape. Um, so for me, had COVID at the start of the year, um, got injured at the back of last year, first race in six months or whatever. So there was a lot of factors where it was like, well, I'm not going to be in top shape. This is just like a see where I'm at kind of race. Um, and then beyond the race result, what else was it that was good about the result and the, the event that made it a good experience? So I caught up with loads of good friends that I haven't seen in ages um it was part of a really good event it was on my doorstep it made me really it, it motivated me to get back into training so all those factors like made it a worthwhile result beyond just what the clock said um you know the clock could have said 1435 and I still would have been like okay that's fine but I just feel like sometimes I get too focused on the clock and then review a race whether it was good or bad depending on what the clock says when there's more factors to consider i think it's easy to say that when you run slower than your best you know when you run so much slower like i did than my pb then it's easy for me to say oh it's easy not to focus on times because time is so much slower but the reason why i think it was the reason why i posted what i did was because there was 
there was actually quite a lot of runners that didn't run that well compared to their PBs. It was quite a slow night. Um, and I see a lot of people that are, that are of all abilities just just base themselves on whether they PB or not. And yeah, it's just it's just almost like keep keep yourself in check to remember that you're not going to PB every race, are you? Like you PB this race, but you might not PB the next race. But that doesn't mean that like you're a shit runner overnight. It just means that something else something else happened. It's the way it is. And it takes so many years to get that into your head. It mm. takes so so many years, even in sessions. Sometimes if you don't hit splits in ses- sessions, you're like, oh, that was rubbish. You don't yeah. actually take the, va- the value away from still actually doing a session. So, yes. yeah, people, I always say I'm a slave to the splits, which is very true, and I still haven't got out of that in training. But for race-wise now, I, you just got to enjoy the race and take away from it what happens in the race because it's a very unrealistic expectation to assume that you will race perfectly every single race. And, and it also, brings you on. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, those races still bring you on, regardless yeah. of it's experience. You know, yeah, like it's it's it physiologically has a benefit. You know whether you run a PB or not, uh, you push yourself harder than you would have done in training, or you can do in training. So that's the way I like it. Um, and it's 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 just stepping stones. You know, I saw an athlete. I'm not going to name who they were, but they're in the elite men's race, and they stopped two meters before the line. You see a video of it? No. Okay. So literally two meters before the finish line, this guy stops and cuts up another athlete and darts off the, the race uh, straight into the grass verge because for whatever reason, they didn't want to finish. Now, the only reason you don't finish two meters before the line, in fact, this actual whole thing inspired my Instagram post. The reason you'd step off two meters before the line is because you, for whatever reason, you don't want that time on your record. And you know, don't get me wrong. The finish time was a good 30 odd seconds slower than this guy's PB. But it just made me think how unhealthy that is, the how unhealthy that relationship you have with running is. And it that's, that is a cry for help because what? how fast would you have had to run to warrant finishing? 10 seconds faster, 15 seconds faster. You're now defining yourself over seconds. And, you you know there are so many other things around that result that you could have found enjoyment from just away from what that clock said. And I just watched it unfold and it, it made me want to go up to the guy and be like, let me help you because, or let me get you help because you seriously need help. Like, yeah, it's just, that really sucked to see. I thought that was a really unhealthy side of the sport that we don't see a lot, but I feel that a lot of runners go through massively. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, the first race I did with wave lights, I pulled out because I just saw the pace getting further away from me. No, no injury, no feeling sick or anything. I just pulled out because I wasn't on the pace, and that was it. It's mm-hmm. just I saw it getting further away, and that's I wouldn't do that now, but wow. it is. It's it's a very toxic place to be, but a lot of runners find themselves in that that kind of that kind of place. Yeah, so I don't I think... run with a watch. Yeah, I don't either. I uh, I don't race. Um, I don't race with a watch. Um. The only the only reason I wish I could race from with a watch is just because I'm a bit of a data nerd to look back mm. at it after. But during it, I love not racing with a watch. Um, I think it's much better. But yeah, I think the thing I keep telling myself, and I think a lot of runners of all abilities need to remember this, is that it's just running. Unless you're making a living from it, no one gives a shit. Like no one cares. And I know that sounds really like egotistic, but 
the only thing that you should be considering when you're running is what you really th think about it. If there's ever a thought of whatever, what someone else is going to think about this, you're in the wrong thing. You're doing the wrong thing because you're doing it for someone else. And that's just a waste of time. I think like, I think it's just an unhealthy relationship you have with the game, but Hey, maybe they'll listen to this podcast and maybe it will help them. <laughs> or maybe they'll hate you for outing them, even though you didn't say the name, but hopefully, hopefully the first one, hopefully it helps them. Yeah, it's, it's not an out, I'm not out in anyone. I think it's just highlighting that there is there are people out there that do have healthy unhealthy relationships with with um with the training and the sport as a whole. But hey, again, it's easy for me to say when I'm running slower than what I normally would. I think that when you're on the money and you're in and around your PBs and obviously you do care about getting faster and faster and the margins are tiny, then yeah, the 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 stress and anxiety can go up. But that's where you got to take yourself out of perspective and just remember that no one gives a shit. They just want you to do your best and you for they just want you to be happy. That's what people want, you know. And the ones that don't want that, fuck them. Yeah, I, I think when you're saying that, I thought of something. I feel like to be an elite runner, you've got to have an ego. But to be anything other than an elite paid athlete, you need to get pushed that ego so far back mm -hmm. and just just be in the moment about what's, what's happening, whether that's in training or racing. Just take every single race as it is and also appreciate what's gone into that and maybe what's going to come from that and not just... This is the time. It means this. It should be. This is what I've done. This is where I'm going to go now. It's always just a process. That's it's why not cross like a line. goat, mate. Because it forces people to just race and just be competitive, whatever competitive is. You know, like no one. Well, there are people that do time cross country and consider a good run, depending on how fast their splits are. But there's so many different variables that affects the cross country time that a lot of people just focus on the effort and just try and race and just try and finish high up or do well for their team. Or that's why I love cross country league races because it's just about getting in as high as possible to get as many points for your team. Um, and if you're not having a good run, you just suck it up. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like, it's not the end of the world. It's just a cross country race. But anyway, we can talk about that until the sun goes down. Let's, um, Let's review our training weeks, mate. Do you want to kick us off? Obviously, I know you race British champs. So what was your what was your week like Monday through Sunday? So Monday was kind of, well, it was a full taper week from even from Monday. So it was a 5K shakeout in the morning. Shakeout, easy run, whatever you want to call it. Very slow, like five minute kilometers. It's really nice and easy. And then in the evening, it was three by 1K off four minutes recovery. Targets were 238 to 242. First one was 2.41, second one was 2.38, and third one was 2.35. Just feeling nice and just trying to feel nice and relaxed. Felt really good, actually, uh, after the first one. I feel like those kind of sessions, if you start with something fast and you're not quite there, like a race day is a bit different because you have the adrenaline. But in training, if you start with a really hard rep, it's actually hard to sort of get the ball rolling. So, yeah, the 2.41 was the hardest, but then it kind of got nicer. Tuesday, just a double day just uh 15k in the morning 5k in the evening but that 5k I had to do some strides and also then went in the sauna which is something new um i've seen a lot of professional runners do that at the minute so i thought i'd start adopting it to my own training and see see how it goes yeah uh, wednesday again this was more of a dial down so it was just a 5k and a 10k again probably like 420 430 kilometers thursday was I need to make sure I get this right because it's, again, morning and evening. It was a 5K in the morning, and then it was 
it was originally meant to be five three hundreds off three hundred jog recovery as like a pre race stride kind of thing. Yeah. But but I felt really bad. Like taper weeks, I kind of always feel flat. So it was actually four three hundreds and then a two hundred because I just wanted to get my legs spinning quicker without actually doing a three hundred where it's generally quite a lot harder than the two. So that was kind of uh, 44, 43, 43, 42, and then a 26, 27. So really didn't feel too good, actually. Normally, taper weeks, awful. So then Friday was a 5K and a 3K with strides, double. So 5K in the morning, 3K in the evening, and strides in the evening with a 3K. Saturday was, again, 5K with strides in the morning, and then 3K in the evening after traveling to West Brom, which is a lovely lovely area of like around Birmingham uh very enjoyable run and then race day in the morning I did 12 minutes easy very easy like five minute 20 per kilometer and then race day was at 3 p.m so just a standard warm-up and then uh being in a call room for 30 minutes isn't nice uh well from call up to the race long time to just sit around and then obviously race and then did a four mile cool down which is not my usual norm but you know, you kind of meet a lot of different runners on that day and you just kind of get chatting and just go for a run afterwards. So, mm-hmm. yeah, boring week because it was of the taper. I hate tapering. It was about 50 miles in total. Nice. But, yeah, standard taper, really. So, my training week, obviously, I've raced the 5K on Friday, so it was a, it was a lighter week. Um, but do you know what? It was actually ended up being a similar amount of volume that I've done this year just because I've not been doing a massive amount of volume. So it was a taper of such, but that doesn't make any sense, does it? It was a taper, but not really because you ran the same volume. Yeah, it does. So it was a taper and intensity. It wasn't a taper and volume though, if that makes yep. sense. Um, just because I didn't want to taper too much on volume because as I say, like, this session, this this race was getting, if, if anything, it was just a bit of a training workout. But anyway, um, we started on Monday, did 7K easy in the morning, 5.5K easy in the evening. Uh, all my easy runs are like 4.50, 5 minutes per K. So I just run to heart rate. Tuesday, I did uh, 4K easy in the morning after a gym session. I ran home from the gym. I wanted to run 6K, but oh my God, my legs. My Post gym. Diet. Oh, it's horrendous. Never, ever run home from the gym. Should know that. So I did 4K easy there and then 6K easy in the evening. My legs were battered. Uh, Wednesday was a workout day. So I did 5 by 2K in the morning in Bushy Park. And that was at around, um, I think I was running like 3.45 a K. I actually can't remember. I wasn't really looking too much. I was just running to heart rate. So I was just making sure that my heart rate was going. It was floating between like, was maxed at 175 on each rep. So like probably averaging at around 170, if that makes sense. Nice and uh, nice and comfortable off a um, two-minute recovery. And then in the evening, I did a treadmill session. I did four minutes at threshold and six times 50 seconds. So like the equivalent of six times 300 at 5K race pace. That was a good day. Um, and then the next day, I did two 6K easy runs. Friday was race day, so I did 2Ks in the morning and then warm-up, race, cool-down. Saturday, I was pretty broken from the 5K. My body was stinging, so I did 6K easy in the morning. It was part run. And then Sunday, I did 16Ks 
um, easy. I did want to run 20K on Sunday, but um, my body was too sore from the race, so I just cut it short. So about 100K for the week, which was good. That's been that's quite a good volume for me at the moment. Um, but where I'm struggling now, yeah, is that I, I don't want to jump my mileage too high, but I'm now at a place where I could probably step it up quite a bit because there's nothing... I've got no illness. I've got no injury, like nothing holding me back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I'm just going to kind of very slowly start to increase my mileage up to a decent amount um, and start doing some more sessions. Cause that's one thing I've been guilty of of late. I've not like, I've not really been doing any sessions. It's just been like steady running. Double thresholds. Just uh, start with them. Your mileage instantly creeps up a little bit anyway. Oh yeah. We're on it, mate. Well, tomorrow I'm doing, tomorrow I've got, uh, what have I got tomorrow? Where are we in the plan? Yeah, tomorrow I'm doing 5 by 2K in the morning and then I'm going on the track in the evening doing 2400. So, classic, classic day. I'll be 14 minute shape. Give me time. (laughs) But it's funny, yeah. No, seriously, like if I look back at my training, I had a a call my coach today and, uh, man, I've been dicking about for so long. Like, that's why that 1540 meant so much to me because... Like I've literally, I'm, I've just been running around, just just jogging. Like there's no, there's not really been any sessions. I do the odd threshold when I have time. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to prioritize actually training a little bit more seriously. I suppose that's the word. But yeah, double thresholds. I'm really keen to get into them. Um, yeah, man, I'm absolutely buzzing. I spoke to I spoke to a guy from um, from Bristol who runs for. The Bristol Track Club, his name's Callum Jones. You may know him. I recognise a lot of names. I recognise his name, but I, I can't really think. He ran 14.07 in Armagh the other week. Okay, yeah. Uh, he's run like 3.46. Yeah, he's a he's good runner. He ran at Battersea the other night, but had a tough day. But yeah, I was just chatting to him and um, he he does a lot of training. He works for On now, but he does a lot of training with some of the Norwegian guys. I do know him. I do know him. Yeah, he's he's a really good, really nice guy, and yeah, he does a lot of training with the Norwegian guys. And he was just talking to me. His coach, his coach is, I think his coach Norwegian. I don't know, I can't remember his coach, but he's either based out in Norway or or like Kenya or something. But his training is basically a carbon cut cut out of Jakob. Um, if anything, he probably does more miles. But yeah, he was just talking to me about double thresholds and how it's helped him. How you have to have faith in it and obviously control it and run it a lot slower than you probably think you need to, so you can get the volume in. So yeah, for me and my, for me and my injury history, I think the double threshold and threshold training as a whole is a good way for me to be able to get good volume in without actually smashing my body too much. But where I'm, where I'm probably a little bit uh, inexperienced with it is how you then um, translate the training to incorporate some faster work around races, which is why I did those 50 second reps on wednesday because i was like right well i, I want to get something at 5k race pace in just to test the system a little bit and test the body how do you find that how do you find managing that especially around your races um so i would say uh this is i guess dingabitsons call it an x element session so for a lot of their base period that's just a hill session but it's kind of like you know first of all threshold mechanics are quite similar to race mechanics anyway so that's one of the benefits of threshold it's even though you're not running that fast, the mechanics are similar to race day. So it's actually not too far away. 
But what I would say is strides on easy days definitely help a lot. And hill strides definitely help a lot. But if you're actually looking for sessions, something I do find really useful is kind of, you know, still having a priority of once every few weeks doing a couple of speed sessions or a couple of faster sessions. So like 20 times 200 is probably one I go to quite a lot where it's like, you know, kind of 800 pace uh, reps, which is a hard session because 20 times 200, 800 pace is very tough. 800 runners won't be able to do it, but for someone like me who's like a 5K runner, yeah. you know, my 800 pace isn't that fast, so it's it's okay, manageable. That's a good session to do, kind of like VO2 max kind of pace stuff, so like 3K pace stuff. Just sprinkle it in, but then also sprinkle in strides, strength work, plyometrics and hills. That kind of is a good combination, but it is surprising. You don't need as much speed work as you originally think you do because i've done no speed this year and i've run a 3k personal best which doesn't really make much sense and a 15 personal best um off literally hardly any speed just hills and occasional sessions so threshold is not too far away from race mechanics basically yeah. is a, no, is heard, a short no, answer i've heard yeah i've heard I've, I've heard that before from various people which is which is great knowledge excellent um yeah so your next race is traffic 10k right yep Nice. I'm doing a. I've en- my next race. I've entered a on a on a whim, really, just just for a bit of fun. I'm doing a. I'm doing a trail half marathon in Surrey, which is basically a glorified cross country race, but over 13 miles. Um, in two weeks, so that should be a good little two, test. Two weeks. How yeah, is the? Quite, ter- I do quite. I've I got. I've done quite a bit of trail running. Um. I live on the border of Surrey, so I get out to the trails quite a bit. So um, it's just, yeah, terrain-wise, elevation, it's not too bad. It's not that. It's not that bad at all. It's just it's just literally just to break it up a bit. What shoes would you be wearing for that endeavour? I'd love to say the Ultrafly, but they've mm. not uh, they've not been released yet. So uh, just peg trail. Peg trail will be fine. The nearest peg trail is quick, quick enough for me. But yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna race it. Like, I'm going to get a good workout in. I mean, I'd like to, yeah, send it a bit just to... Just to get a bit of a feel, do you know what I mean? Like that's one thing I said spoke to my coach today about. Today I was like, I'm definitely I need to race more because I get so bored just training, man. I get bored. Like I'd rather I'd rather sacrifice one session of the week and like race just just to be involved. Do you know what I mean? It is. It's really nice to break it up. I I generally love training, but in, do you know when you get to like a two three month block where you haven't raced it gets very dull very quickly and you kind of need something to look forward to. Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. I mean, yeah, that's what this trail race is about. Like, going to make a weekend of it with my other half and just have a good day out, get the miles in. I'll probably get in, you know, 15, 16 miles that day. So that'll be a good good day of volume. And yeah, hopefully have a good crack as well. So to move on, let's talk about, obviously, the big elephant in the room this week. We've obviously just come off the back of World Cross Country Championships, the biggest event in the cross country calendar from a global stage. This year it was in Australia. Um, I want to try and pronounce this correctly. Do you want to try? No. All right. Let me let me look it up because I don't want to sound like a dick. You you've lived in Australia. You should know how to pronounce this. Bar Bar. Yeah, mate. You live in England, but you can't pronounce every single place in the whole country. Yeah, Bar Barhurst. Yeah, we'll go yeah with that. let's go with that. So it says here that this is a city in central tablelands of New South Wales, which is the same um, 
same state as um, Sydney. It's about 200 kilometers west, northwest of Sydney. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, and it's the oldest inland settlement in Australia and it has a population of 37,191. Well, this weekend it had uh, probably about 38,500 people uh, because we had obviously the World Cross Country Championships where countries from all over the world came together from Africa, from the Middle East, from America, from Europe, of course, and made the trip down under. Bloody long trip for especially us Brits. Um, and we had a few different races. We had the mixed relay, senior relays. We had the under 20 races in the men and women's. And then we had the senior men's and the senior women's races on a course that has been dubbed the most difficult ever. And that was by Steve Monaghetti, who is obviously a legendary marathon runner, but he's also done 11 world crosses in his career. So I feel like he has got the CV to be able to say whether it was the hardest or not. Um, firstly, did you catch any of it? Because obviously you was uh, you was racing at the weekend. And if not, are you going to watch it back? Yeah, I didn't catch it live purely because I was asleep. Um, but I have watched some of it back. I've seen the results and the the main takeaway for me is that East Africa are just ridiculously good at crash country. It's unbelievable how good they are at crash country. I mean, the yeah. East African countries are amazing at distance running, but crash country specifically, I think they're untouchable. Yeah, I have to, I have to pretty much agree with you. I think that I watched it back. I didn't watch it live, uh, but I watched it back this morning and a few takeaways from it. Yes, obviously, Africans are incredible across country. They just cover the ground so much better than Europeans and Americans. Um, they they just aren't phased by anything, whether it be a hill, uh, a tight corner, difference in terrain, mud, water, sand, or even a vineyard, as they were sent through. But there were some interesting results that came out of the race. I suppose the most, the biggest shock, and we'll go right there first, is obviously the fact that Gidai was disqualified. But let's give some context to why that actually happened. Uh, she didn't technically cheat herself, but she would have been DQ'd for getting outside help to cross the finish line. So in a nutshell, there was a big group at the front in the senior women's race. Uh, it was four laps of the of the course. And coming down to the last lap, it was basically a two-horse race between Chibet of Kenya and Gidai of Ethiopia. Gidai makes the, the break and puts the hammer down, as we've seen in so many different races from the track to the road, and really distanced herself from the field. As she's approaching the last kilometre of the race, there's this, there's this slalom where it goes to these tire, this tyre slalom, because that was actually a, a, a nod to the, the, the Baha can't say the bloody place anyway there's a there's a car race that they host there every year called the whatever hundred so that was why there was a tire slalom anyway so as she's going through this she just looked a bit unsteady on her feet and coming out of that as you hit the final downhill i see chabet starts to rally and put a little bit of pressure on her and in the home straight get you know, pretty much yeah collapses she looks to her left and Chebet comes up level with her. And I think it surprised her. And as she's looked over, she hits a, a speed bump, misjudges it. And she's so fatigued that she just hits the deck. Chebet takes the, takes the lead, literally 20 metres from the finish line, takes the win. 
And then the Ethiopian officials come onto the course from nowhere, just jump the barrier, come running up and help her up and literally carry her across the finish line, which obviously there's team competitions at stake. She got fourth technically, but then she got disqualified. What do you what do you make of that, Alfie? So first of all, I'd like to I'd love to be able to push myself as much as she must have been able to push herself to get to that point in a race. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine the feeling of being able to run that that hard where you collapse. Um, however, from a spectator point of view, it's sad to see her get DQ'd because I feel like it's quite a nice story, her getting helped up and then crossing the line. But like you said, as a racer point of view, if someone collapses in the race in front of me and gets helped up and then crosses the line and beats me, I want that extra place because ultimately she didn't run her race by herself as a whole. So it's sad to see, but it it does make sense. Um, I mean, you can talk about why she chose to do what she did because she has a very good kick. I would be like, I was shocked that she didn't just you know leave it until a kick and just pull away that way. But she did what she did, and it's upsetting to see. But mm. in crush country, we have remar- had a lot of those results. So mm. at the Eurocross, which is also a really hard course, we saw a few men collapse in the under 20 race. Um, and then yep. Nick Griggs almost collapsed over the finish line. I guess he collapsed over the finish line, but he almost fell, got to be taken by Will Barnaco. In America, we saw the, the two young twins who were clear favorites to win NXN. And they both had awful races for them. And But one of the, the brothers, I can't remember which one, because they look exactly the same, uh, really faded after from winning, really, really faded in the closing 300 meters. So it does happen in cross country. If if anywhere it can happen, it's cross country running. And mm. it seems to happen to the, some of the best runners. And I wonder if that's because they're so used to being able to run so close to the edge on the roads and on the track. When you take that to the cross country, it just tips them over the edge and means they can't really run at that effort for that long because a hill or a slalom or a storm, which the, the weather at the cross country champs is really interesting. Uh, you know, it just can cause cause those things it's heartbreaking to see it happen to Kedai in the final 100 meters but hats off to Chibet I guess who ran the race better I guess you'd say yeah yeah you have to say that I mean you're right about the weather it's 36 degrees with a with a with a, with a one mile an hour wind and then the storm obviously picked things up so it's very humid um but it was the right decision I mean the, the team results in that senior women's race Kenya Kenya were first with 16 points and Ethiopia was second with 25 so and that's without Kedai's fourth place so I don't know. I, I haven't done the maths, but it would have made it a far closer race if, and maybe potentially could have affected that result. So I can understand, especially with the rivalry between those two countries across all the age groups and races. Um, I can understand why that would happen. But yeah, you did mention, uh, you mentioned about one, one of the one athlete that did run really well in the, in the men's under 20 race. Um, we had, uh, where is it? Let's find that here. Give me one sec. Yeah. So Leo Young, um, who was obviously one of the young twins, he came 16th. So he mm. was the uh, first non-African finisher in that race. He just edged Archie Noakes and Edward Bird. So Archie's from Australia and Edward Bird's a, a Brit. Um, but I saw a few things on social media that, and actually on Let's Run forum, he was just having so much fun out there. Like he was seeing cameras, posing to the cameras, seeing his mates, high-fiving his mates in the crowd whilst also sending it as as you do it across country. So I think that, I think it's good for the sport. I think those boys are good for the sport. If you haven't gone and seen their YouTube channel, go and check it out. It's so good. Um, they've got a lot of flair. They've got a lot of talent. 
Um, and it's good to have personalities in the sport. Like we don't just want athletes to be robots all the time. We want people to have an opinion and people to have charisma, right? Yeah, and both of those guys and and Nico as well. They're really good in front of the camera. Really good to kind of get the hype around it. And like you said, he was having fun on the course, which. I think going there, knowing that you're probably not going to be able to compete with the the Kenyans and Ethiopians and Ugandans, you've not got nothing to lose. Go out there, have some fun, get your first international vest, and like just send it. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, I mean, the photos coming out of it, there's a, there's a reason why they're so famous because there's so many fast runners who don't have the following they have, but they have got a following on social media. Yeah. Um, we should get them on the podcast. Actually, think about that. I'll drop them a message because it'd be yeah. an interesting podcast to have all. I mean, it'll be hard to speak to them because I literally couldn't tell you which one's which, even if I, they were in front of me. Get him to wear uh, nine tags. Maybe, but they'd probably just swap them. So it's, uh, yeah, Lex and Leo Young, or Alexio and Emilio Young, I believe the actual names are, but both good for the sport. Yeah, uh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And uh, in some of the other races, um, we had obviously the mixed relay. We'll cover that in a second. But the senior men's race was... A very exciting one. Um, spearheaded by Africa. Um, and, you know, taking the win was J- Jacob Kiplimo, who's he'd won the under 20 title before, but he'd never won the senior. Um, he He's podiumed before um, with Czech de Guy and Kamora. But yeah, Jacob, uh, Jacob Kiplimo absolutely blew this field apart. Second was Aragari from Ethiopia and obviously just checked the guy there was third for Uganda and into the last lap, it was a four horse race between Kamawara, checked the guy, Kip Limo, who had podiumed as a three the, the, the year before um, or the meet before in Denmark, I believe it was. And uh, Aragari was hanging on. He was hanging on for dear life. And it was only really in the latter stages when Kip Limo made the break from checked the guy that Aragari got on it and just, just rallied. And got ahead of Czech to guy to take silver, but Kip Limo looks a different animal this season. Like he might check the guy look average. Like, come on, like if you're doing that, you, you are flying. And he was finished. He finished full of running. He was smiling. He was smiling with the 500 minutes to go. You know, he had loads left in the tank. Um, but I feel like the senior men's race was probably the, the, the most deep in terms of class and talent. I mean, going down 12th place, Salomon Borrega. I mean, he's 12th. He can't even make the top 10. Um, even going further down, like Emmanuel Kitrock, Kit Ruto was 19th. The standard of the men's was insane. I think there was 122 that started in that race, so it was packed full, um, which was which was great. But two things about that senior men's race, and I'm not 100% sure if this is the same for all of the races, but I know it is for this one. First of all, run of the day, in my opinion, very close call between this and leo young but was kai robinson from australia did not get barely a mention on the commentary mm-hmm. considering it was two aussie commentators but he came 23rd uh he was the first aussie home he beat jack rayner brett robinson kai robinson was 10th at the ncaa cross and also i think at the commonwealth games i think he ran really well at the 10,000 meters as well I feel like he was really up there on that. I should have uh, should have looked at that ahead of that. But this is a kid that this is his first year as an in an Aussie senior singlet, and to go there, home get home competition and be first home for your country, and beat people like Jack Rayner by twenty odd seconds, like big run from Kyle Robinson, and then 
The second point about this race is that I don't know whether you've heard about this, but have you heard about the golden ticket entries? No, but were people getting lapped? I mean, there were people getting lapped in all of the races because there were like different teams that had runners that just weren't fast enough. So okay. that, it wasn't all related to golden ticket athletes, but basically um, the days before the meet, there were shorter races. So for example, Liam Adams finished in the senior men's race. He finished, uh, I've got it here somewhere. One sec, where is it? Has he been DQ'd? What? Hang on, let me find him. Okay, he's not in the results, which is really annoying. Okay, so for example, in the senior men's race, Liam Adams, who is not on the results for some reason, I don't know whether the what the golden ticket athletes are not on it, but he had to race a six-kilometer race the day before to qualify for a wild card entry into the World Cross race. And that also included uh, Ed Goddard running it, um, Riley Cox also running it, um, Benny St. Lawrence. They were all Australian. So I don't know whether it was just for Australians, but they got an entry into the race the next day. So they had, they had 16 kilometers of racing in a, in a 24-hour period. But Liam Adams actually ended up finishing in front of some of the Aussie team. And I, can't, I think he was like... I think he was in the 40s but he finished ahead of some of the people that actually got picked which i thought was such a cool initiative for races it's cool i mean it'd be nice if it wasn't the day before but yeah. it is it is cool and i mean i couldn't imagine racing a cross-country race the day after another cross-country race because i'm sure anyone who's raced a cross-country race who's listened to this knows the pain you're in after yeah. so that that must be a very strange experience to be like oh i've got to go again tomorrow in a cross race but it's very australian though isn't it it's very much like Aussie yeah actually just getting stuck in and going for it it is and i think i think australia do that really well across all uh the spectrum of elite sub elites or whatever there's always so much passion and so much enthusiasm around their yeah. events and the commentary I, I really think that they have probably got it like some of the best of the world in terms of how the, it's kind of coordinated like even you know, I can't remember the exact name, but you see Stewie McSwain and Ollie Hall racing around a, a grass track against each other. Whenever, you, where are you going to get that anywhere else in the world where the t- the best in the world that does come into a local meet just to race? You're not going to get it. No, you're not. You're not. And talking to Stewie McSwain and Ollie Hall, they were they were obviously in the mixed relay this uh, past weekend, um, which was two men, two women. The Australian team managed a bronze medal, which was really, really good behind Kenya and Ethiopia. Uh, the Aussie team, which was made up of Ollie Hoare on the first leg, then over to Pete Julian's Jessica Hull. Third leg, third leg was uh, was our favourite man, Stuart McSwain, and then Abby Coldwell brought it home for the bronze. That was a really exciting race because it was about 23 minutes worth of racing, but um, a lot of chopping and changing because obviously, you know, fresh legs were always heading into the race. One thing I was surprised with was the leg between Stewie McSwain and Kenya. Stewie got the lead when he had the baton. So when he had the baton over from Jess Hull, she ran an unbelievable leg to take the take the first place. And Stewie had about a you know 10, 15 yard gap on the Kenyan, uh, which was uh Kiyumbe Munguti, who's an eight hundred meter specialist. And he blew Stewie apart. He blew him away. Um and 
really that's where that gold medal for Kenya came from. And I was just a bit surprised at that. I don't know whether that was, uh, I don't know, the split times. I don't know whether Stewie had a hard day or this guy from Kenya, Mangudi, he had an absolute stormer. But with him being an 800 meter specialist, I would have expected um, I would have expected him to struggle a little bit in the second kilometre, but clearly not. And when you spoke about earlier about how good the Africans are over the country, it was that prime example. You could see he was a track specialist and he was flying on the course, like just catapulting himself down the hills because it was a rolling course and even when he would hit a hill he'd go into track mode and he'd just drive up them like he's literally just doing a session whereas the distance runners on the course i think they were a little bit more tentative with it um especially in that mixed relay that's what i saw anyway but yeah mega mega competition that mixed relay i'd love to see more of that in in the races back home what do you reckon yeah, I'd love to race in one, to be honest. I'd love... Yeah. Uh, there's something about a short distance on the cross just really appeals to me. It seems really fun. So I might try that. Um, I know we've got Mansfield and the Northerns in the UK where it's kind of, you know, domestic, shorter relays, but even the Nationals is a 5K now where you, it's not really quite the same as doing like a 2K, 3K kind of race, is it? So, yeah, I like that. I like that format. And I, I much prefer it when it's a mixed format as well. So two men, two women. I think it's... Uh, exciting because you can get chopping and changing it would be interesting to see if there was more variation where you know some teams had a man on the first leg some teams had a woman on the first leg kind of see what happens there but also is that too much of a mess to follow yeah i mean who knows we'll have to see whether that ever takes takes forward i mean it's a bit like the um the nitro athletics that they tried in melbourne where it was like that yeah it was like men up against women on certain legs and stuff it was a really cool concept i thought um but yeah it's a it's an interesting thought um but what's uh what do we got what have we got coming up in the running world over the next week what what's um what's hot off the press to look forward to so i'd say instant one is the european uh indoor championships in istanbul in two weeks time i think that's probably going to be very exciting because we've got a lot of runners who are running exceptionally well this season um you know you've got Keeley in the eight, you've got Femke Ball, who I've heard rumours that she's going to sub, for sub 49 in the 400. So I don't think that's very realistic, but you never know. You know, you've got Jakob, Katir, so many good runners in the European Championships, Mario Garcia-Romo, a lot of the on guys yeah. who OAC, we didn't even touch on that, is unbelievable right now. Unbelievable. Yeah, fine, aren't they? Um, I had a conversation about um, on actually yesterday um, about do you think we'll ever see an on running team in the UK and is it and is it now the time because my we need a running team if they if they created obviously they've got the America team with Ritz and Hein they've got the European team with George Mm -hmm. Mills um, in Germany I believe they're based Um, if they created a UK team and you know pick the right people to to go into it they could sweep up because the uk domestic scene like it's not the hardest to sweep up like we have a lot of races but like you could well most most of like athletes your level have to go overseas and race so if 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 there was athletes your level that all of a sudden stopped going overseas to race but swept up all the best domestic races it wouldn't be that much of a challenge for them to do that I don't think, but yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool to see some team based sport, uh, some team based athletics back on home soil. Do, do you know something that I know, or are you just actually just going out on a whim by saying that? 
Are you just I'm completely? Genu- I'm, I'm genuinely okay. going out on a whim. Okay. Um, I've been told some things oh. about exactly what you've just said. Actually, okay, I, I believe. I believe. Uh, I don't know if. Ah, oh, whatever. I believe Honor sponsoring some uh, domestic teams in the UK. Nice. Um, and I think from that, athletes will flock to those teams. So it'd be like a. I know which teams. Well, I've been told which teams, but I'm not sure if it's true. Well, let's just say Leeds. Leeds isn't one of the teams, but I'll just use Leeds as an example because it's not one of the teams. If on sponsored Leeds, then you probably get athletes who, you know, kind of have a hybrid contract with on and then go yeah. move to move to Leeds, represent Leeds, but it's like a on athletics team. Or you can go the route of, you know, completely taking over a team. But because of the domestic stuff in the UK, you always have to have like a driving force of a team. I don't know how it works though, because Nick Bester has Best Athletics, which is an actual registered team. Mm. So I don't I don't know how that works because in theory, Nick like Best Athletics could compete at the relays. So I don't know how you do that. Um, but On could do that as well, but they just make a whole new team. Yeah, mate, it's easy. Yeah, it's Team Project Run are also England Athletics affiliated. You just have to okay. set, it, set it up and do the paperwork. Um, not that difficult at all. Um, in terms of getting to in terms of a new team accessing a race, so say like on athletics club or whatever they want to call it, want to do a six stage, they'd just have to register it as an England Athletics team club and then I think just apply, apply to tie the line and qualify. And as long as they're accepted to, to enter the qualification race, then they're just there. They've got as much right to be there as anyone else. But yeah, no, that'd be interesting. Interesting to see, see what transpires from that. I mean, we're seeing it with Belgrave Harriers and Tracksmith. Tracksmith have, a sponsor in Belgrave, their, their new kit was was uh, debuted at the Pole 5K the other night, and that new kit comes out soon. And yeah, they're supporting the club, which is good to see. They're obviously sponsors of the Surrey League cross country as well. So good to see brands putting some money and time back into the domestic side of the sport. I think it's something that's needed. Sure. Yeah, I, it is good because I feel like there's a, such a separation between elites and stuff, uh, and I guess the the brands and the athletes. And it's kind of, you know, we, we talk about it and we've spoken about how it's almost the bridge, the ship has sailed on bridging the gap. But anyways, you can connect the two and keep people intertwined is always fun. And, you know, in the UK, domestic racing is probably the biggest driving force. So if you can sort of connect brands with that and give people more an incentive to race, and it's also, it could be a brand obligation. So you could get some bigger names turning up to the races because brands are saying, well, you've, we've got a team now, so you're racing for us. And I think that's more exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see um, what happens. But um, yeah, that's pretty much everything we've got planned for this week, folks. Um, Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Running Podcast. Me and Alfie will be back next week where we'll be covering all of last week's, uh, the previous week's running news, rumours, and we'll probably make some stuff up along as we go just to keep things interesting. But Alfie, it's been emotional, mate. I'm going to go for me run. What you got planned for this evening? Incline threshold session. Standard Alfie answer there. Incline threshold for Alfie. Easy run for me. We'll catch you next week, folks. Thanks for tuning in.